0: Hey, everybody. Good morning. We love the Bible. We love Jesus. We're going to read about him this morning. So I invite you, either open up your Bible you brought with you, or if you didn't, and you're like, oh man, I'm in church without my Bible, uh, I missed the opportunity. No, you didn't. If you got a phone, you got a pocket Bible, raise it nice and high, and open it up to either the version, the Bible app, or open up to Bible Gateway. We're going to read the gospel story together. I like to say that I read it in a not-monotone voice, so you can be the judge after that. We're going to hear it lively. We're going to try to hear the actions of Jesus and see how we can learn from him. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, And he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved Son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. Later on, John was arrested. Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing out a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, "'Come, follow me, and I will tell you how to fish for people.'" And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat, preparing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of that man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and came out of him. Amazement! gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What what's what sort of new teaching is this? they asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, Everyone's looking for you. But Jesus replied, We must go to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Move with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest, let him examine you take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. You'll notice that you received a sheet as you came in. It's also going to be dropped into our comments online. We'll only explain this the first week, but welcome to our sermon series, Here's the Deal. On the one side is our weekend guide. It gives you the outline of the sermon, gives you an opportunity to take some sermon notes. Note takers are world changers. On the back, put this on your fridge. If you say, hey, I've never encountered the gospel before. I don't get any of this. I'm so glad you're here. That's amazing. That's amazing. And so here's three things about the text. We'll do that every week. If you know nothing about it, you'll immediately know three things. Then, for our advanced friends, there's a verse by verse that's going to take you right through. You're now going to be a Gospel of Mark expert. Then there's an opportunity to reflect, have quiet time, questions for study and discussion. There's a reading plan Monday through Friday. That's going to be part of our encouraging words, too. We'll send that out. Put this on your fridge. We're so glad you can join us for our sermon series starting this fall. Maybe this is a me getting old thing, but as I get old, I'm old, right? Hey, this is my Jesus year. I just turned 33, so I feel very old. Anybody, anybody looking back on their Jesus year and saying, I miss that. I didn't know that was a Jesus year. What are you even talking about? So something about when I've gotten old, here's what I've noticed, I drive my car and I notice things that have always been there and I've never seen before. Anybody have this experience? There's literally this big, beautiful house on the way to my house in Carver that I drive by and it's beautiful, wraparound porch, amazing. It's been there for years. I noticed it last week. Why do I say that? Because freshman orientation of college, that was a long time ago. Who remembers those days? Freshman orientation of college, what a fun time. That was so great. You know what I noticed there for the first time that always existed? I like to call them, this is me being really kind and pastoral. You ready? Say, you you can think in your head, David, you're being so kind right now. Here's the nice way to put it I'm going to call them schmoozers with swagger. Now, in my era, uh, that meant. You had like a backwards Yankees cap or a backwards Ohio State cap and um, maybe some sort of cool, trendy t-shirt, but it was this kind of mentality. What's up, bro? Nice to see you, man. Hey, what's going on? Hey, love you, man. Hey, be well. Good to see you. They all seem to talk like this. Now, maybe this is a me problem, because truthfully, you might sit there and think, I've never encountered this ever. Now, one of two things, either you will, and... Congratulations, I just pointed out, and you'll, you can't unsee this. Or David's just bizarre, and this is a silly story to start his sermon. But no, the truth is, is that I've noticed, I noticed this first with these schmoozers with swagger. You know swagger, right? Like, those of us, when I'm walking somewhere, I kind of walk like this, right? Um, do you remember, now if you're from my era, um, there were a lot of guys who kind of walked like this, right? It was kind of like this kind of deal, right, right? I'm not even making that up. I'm a high school teacher, and I still see this, okay? So, like, this is not made up. Now, here's the thing. This shows me that there's a bit of a problem. I want to throw this up. We, as a society, are totally confused about what confidence is. Let's throw this up on the screen. We've got this problem, right? Our culture's definition of confidence isn't accurate. It's all over the place. Maybe it's those schmoozers with swagger. Maybe it's just like I gotta know exactly who I am and what, I don't know. It's all over the place. Maybe it's this guy up here, right? That Jim that hero, maybe that's, con- who knows? We're all over the place with confidence. Is confidence this, is confidence that? I don't know, it's confusing. Let me tell you, someone who has confidence. See, I wanna tell you that as we're looking at an idea of confidence, confidence has to be really clear and let's keep this image up and I wanna tell you about this is why this is a problem. Confidence shouldn't be all over the place. It should be rooted in an identity. It should be rooted in a mission. It should be rooted in a method. You know who nailed that? Tom Brady. Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. was a six-round draft pick out of where? Help me out. Michigan. Oh, you failed the first test. That's okay. Michigan, right? Six-round draft pick many years ago. This is an old, old illustration. Okay. So, even though many people were drafted before him that are quarterbacks, that we don't know their names, we know Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. Why? Because he has an identity. He is Tom Brady. Now, at the time, only Tom Brady knew he was Tom Brady, but he had a very clear identity. He had a very clear mission. What is his mission? To be the greatest winner probably in the history of At least football, maybe sports. That's debatable, right? That's his identity. And what was his method? Now we joke about the TB12 method. We're like, avocado ice cream, what is that? Or we say, cutting out tomatoes, that's bizarre. Or his whole thing where he doesn't lift weights. He's not like that guy. And he does all this flexibility stuff. We make fun of it. But I don't know. You look at that guy, and his confidence is backed up. It just is. In fact, you want to know proof? Six-round draft pick, four-string quarterback in his rookie year. Now, you can say, David, that's confusing. I thought NFL teams, like, I've been watching Hard Knocks. They only carry two quarterbacks, right? Right. Four-string quarterback, they carry, like, two-ish, three quarterbacks. It goes up to Mr. Kraft, the owner. says, hi, Mr. Kraft. I'd like to, you to meet your new starting quarterback. Now, you can look at that. At the time, they probably thought he was one of those schmoozers with swagger. Oh, this guy is going to be cut at the end of training camp. What is he talking about? But he backed it up with an identity, with a mission, with a method. Who is Jesus? Each week, you heard the entire gospel reading of Mark 1. Who is Jesus? He's confident. We encounter someone who backs up everything. We encounter somebody who is the real deal, who does have an identity. We'll see what this identity is. You heard about it. At his baptism, we hear, you're dearly loved by God, and you bring me great joy, the voice says. He's got a clear mission. Son of man came to seek and save the lost. It's very, very clear his mission is people, and his method is not just sitting there and creating this great speaking gig where thousands of people are going to think he's awesome, but he says, no, we got to that's great that we're building a good thing here. we got to go out into other towns as well. we got to get out there. He shows us true confidence. Let's break down the chapter real quick. If when I was reading it you were lost, I'm going to throw up a text wall. Too long, didn't read, but here we go. Okay? Jesus' coming was predicted. It was prepared for, predicted by Isaiah and others, prepared for by John the Baptist, then baptized by John the Baptist, called dearly loved son by God. He endured temptation by himself 40 days in the wilderness. Only angels ministered to him at the end. passed the test. Begins his ministry and immediately says, follow me. And people do. They drop everything. Waltzes into a synagogue. He doesn't go into his home church. He walks into a random one. And he starts teaching with authority. Deals with a this is a nice way of saying the demon-possessed guy, a disruptive crowd member without getting defensive. He heals people who need his care and healing and his love. He travels around confidently rather than setting up shop in one comfy place and being like, I've got the life, this is so great. Oh man, looks like I made it. Barry Manilow, right? Okay, so oh, don't worry, we're going to do all sorts of cultural stuff. There's your 1970s one. Most of them are not 70s. He's unfazed by a contagious leper, a a person with like the most fear-inducing illness in the ancient world. He's like, oh, I have compassion for you because I'm Jesus. I have an identity. I have a mission. I have a method, okay? He heals that leper, and he doesn't do his own thing. He follows the law of Moses. And then... Of course, Jesus kind of becomes, I'm a sensation, Tommy the Who, there's your other 70s one. I'm a big sensation. So, what does he do? He has to go out into the secluded areas and temporarily is in, conclu- in seclusion. Okay, so that's who Jesus is. Jesus is confident. And we as a culture, we already said that we're all over the place with confidence, right? And maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's schmoozing, maybe it's not. I'm so confused. Okay, but here's the deal. I'm calling this message Jesus Swagger because I want to tell you that the true kind of confidence each of us should have as disciples and followers of Jesus, and if I've lost you, I'm so glad you're here. Let's talk about that. We'll get into that. We'll break that down. If You want to have confidence. It's not about schmoozing. It's not about, what's up, bro? It's about the substance, that identity. It's about that mission. It's about that method. And here's our big idea. If we get nothing else, write this down. Jesus Swagger means that I can do all things through Christ. Yes, I just plagiarized the Apostle Paul. Write that down. Write it on your hand. Write it on your phone. Write it on your friend's forehead. Whatever you want. Grab a Sharpie. Anyone who does that, you have a get out of jail free pass. I will personally not anyone let anyone press charges on you for writing it on your friend's forehead on that one thing because Jesus' swagger means I can do all things through Christ. And that starts with identity. We're going to look back in this text. And I want us to see very clearly, because here's something we need to know. We are followers of Jesus. That means that it's not that we're going to turn into Jesus. We want to imitate him. We want to, I, said, I jokingly said I plagiarized the Apostle Paul. Let's plagiarize Jesus. Let's take his life and let's steal it for ourselves. Let's act like him and let's fool people Right? Well, how great would it be if we started fooling people and they didn't see David walking in the room? They're like, oh, I think that's Jesus. Now it's not. But that's how we want to live. With that Jesus swagger, I can do all things with Christ. We want to learn from him, imitate him. And there's going to be things in the text that we can look at. There's something called descriptive text and prescriptive text. Descriptive describes or tells about something that happened. prescriptive prescribes or says you should do this. Jesus's life is both descriptive, it tells what he did, how he was like, and it is prescriptive, it shows us how we can live. It is both. We can live with that Jesus swagger. It starts with identity. We're going to jump to verse 11. Our identity's got to start with this idea. comes directly out of the text, I am dearly loved and bring God joy. So We've got this baptism happening. It's very early on. It's the first thing. You'll notice that this gospel story does not start with Christmas. There is no nativity scene. There are no shepherds. There are no wise men, by the way, that don't come until two years later in the house. Sorry to destroy every Christmas card ever. Doesn't start with that. What does it start with? Starts with this. This is the first thing we hear about Jesus. A voice from heaven said you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Now, the Bible's not originally written in English. If anyone thought that, I'm so sorry I spoiled your bubble. Or you just learned something. Now you can tell your friends, hey, guess what? The Bible's not originally written in English. New Testament's written in Greek. The Greek word here for dearly loved, I'm not going to butcher the word. I'll just tell you what it means. It means cherished above all others. Now, this is a hard concept to get. So I'm going to illustrate it. I've got a little almost three-year-old. I'm going to illustrate it with a toddler and stuffed animals. Come with me on this ride for a minute. Okay, so anybody have a girl or ever had a girl live in your house? We all share in that pain. No, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Being a girl dad is so great. Okay, little girls have this ability to infest our house with stuffed animals. Anybody hear me? If you want to come to my house afterwards and grab a couple, I've got like, my wife's not in here, over a hundred. It's, it's ridiculous. We have homemade stuffed animals. We have stuffed animals from overseas. We have giant teddy. Someone, someone should have talked me out when I thought it was a good idea for Christmas to get my daughter a giant uh, teddy bear that's also a dog called Teddy Dog. And then why did I, the next year for my son, get him a giant teddy bear? So we're just, we're infested, okay? But... One day I was trying to solve this. So my wife and I were clever. We saw this Snoopy that was kind of random, and and we are like, we don't know where it came from. So we we put it in a bag, and there's a collection bin out there, and we were going to take it and donate it and give the church a little money. And you know who found us out? My daughter. My toddler, Ruby. You know what she said? That's Snoopy. And I love him. Now, I'm, I'm talking like not a toddler. She, she's not this eloquent. And you know what? Ever since that day, she's done. She sleeps with him every night. I saw him come to church today. Yesterday, we went to Trader Joe's. She brought him with her. We went to the Ohio State Fair. She, um, I let her ride on my shoulders. He rides on her shoulders. He is dearly loved beyond all other teddy bears, all other stuffed animals that is this point, dearly loved. That's how God feels about you. God feels about you exactly like my daughter feels about Snoopy. You are dearly loved. That is a hard concept to understand and to wrap around. And if you get nothing else, you know, honestly, some of us today might not feel that way at all. And you'll be like, David, are you kidding? I have this that I did and this, and people judge me for this, and I judge me for this. Of course I'm not dearly loved. That person's dearly loved. I'm not. Well, we can pause. And if there's anybody in that situation, this is all you need to hear. You're dearly loved. God feels about you more than Ruby, my daughter, feels about Snoopy. And bring God great joy is easier, right? We've all experienced great joy. Anybody anybody think back to a moment where you had a lot of joy? Not work, right? Because why does the great resignation keep happening? Because we don't experience great joy in our workplace. And we look at this and we're like, oh, my job. Might as well look somewhere else. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Well, no. God has found exactly what he's looking for. He's looking for you. You bring him great joy. And so we got to start with this identity. If you want to have confidence, if you want to have Jesus swagger, we have to start with the identity that I am what? I'm dearly loved. I bring God joy. Not somebody else, not my friend, me. Uh, Them too, but I'm just saying, like, me. We have to start with that. Real confidence will come out of there. We see those schmoozers and their identity. Maybe it's all over the place. It's kind of like... I have this funny thing with music shirts. If you wear a shirt for a band, I expect you to be able to name at least 10 songs by that band. If you wear a Metallica shirt, I'm going to say, oh, what's your favorite Metallica album? What, What songs do you like? If you cannot name 10 tracks, you probably shouldn't wear the shirt. I'm serious. Think about that, let that sink in. Our identity matters. Our identity's got to be rooted in this. This is straight from the Bible. This is biblical. It's not me telling you this, it's God telling Jesus this, and it applies to us too. I am dearly loved. I bring God joy. So here is the application. Ready? Write this down. Think about it. If you do not know this, if you do not believe this, take time today, pray about it. Call up a Christian friend and say, hey, I don't get it. Talk to your spouse. Say, hey, I don't get it. Talk to your kid. Talk to your parents. Talk to one of your pastors, a small group leader. Come to a small group this week. We've got a whole bunch of small groups. We want you to come to a small group. We'll talk to you about this. We'll, I'm, small group leader is going to be mad. If you don't know this and you come and you want to talk about this, we're going to make time to talk about this this week because we've got to know this. We've got to know where I- identity comes from. It starts with, I am dearly loved and I bring God joy. Full stop. End of story. We've got to know it. I invite you to consider that today book of Ephesians says, I'm chosen, not forsaken. Read Ephesians 1 and 2. It's going to tell everything that God feels about you, not just this statement, so much more. You're beloved. You're chosen. You matter. You have worth. All right, so jesus Feiger starts there. But then we got to do something with it, right? Like, if I got that Metallica t-shirt, and I know Metallica, and I've gotten my identity as a Metallica fan, first four albums, right? The, the the big four black album was terrible, everything in the 90s was embarrassing, everything after that didn't even happen. Uh, but I did, I, I do like the the documentary, Some Kind of Monster. That's a pretty good rock documentary. Okay. So ha, ha ha. So we gotta now go somewhere with it, right? We gotta go to what's our mission. Look at this. Jesus is very clear what his mission is in this text. We read about it. Look in verse 17 mission is understanding that confidence is contagious it's not jesus swagger it's not confidence if it just stops there if other people aren't picking up on it it's not confidence it's something else it's kind of like that thing at the beginning where i'm seeing these people at freshman orientation and you know what happens they're like repulsing people like magnets and i'm just noticing people backing away because if you're not rooted in the right identity People are not going to be buying what you're selling. You shouldn't be selling anything. You should be living it. Confidence is not about selling. It is living it, and it's contagious. Look right here in the text. Here's what happened. Jesus baptized. Now he immediately starts his ministry. You'll notice this gospel uses the word immediately all the time. It's action. We see the action of Jesus. Jesus does this and this and this. I outlined the first chapter You could say, hey, I I only think that that much stuff happens in the entire gospel. No, that's one chapter. We're only going to look at 12 this fall. A lot happens. Look what happens here. Jesus goes up to a bunch of people on boats. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. He faced the litmus test, right? Was he going to be someone that people followed? Or the people liked sometimes hearing. I'm going to be a little silly, but, but let's think of it like this, right? Jesus approaches the people. Here's what didn't happen. Jesus approaches the sons of Zebedee on the boats. And, they're, and he's like, follow me. And they're like, Jesus, I enjoy your podcast. I'm willing to listen a little bit. I'm going to download Spotify right now. Not necessarily sure if it unseats Rogan for me, but like, okay. I, I, I'm into it, but I'm not ready to let go of everything. So I'm going to keep listening. You just keep going and we'll see where we're at at in a year. That's not what happened. Instead, something different happened. Jesus went up to these people and said, come follow me. And you know what they did? Left dad in the boat and all the hired hands and jumped out and were like, here we go. New life. Here we go. Now you can say, I don't get that. That's really confusing. Okay. It is partly an ancient world thing. Let's teach something specifically. I use the really churchy word "disciple." You might have heard that before and been like, "Ah, this preacher has literally used a church word. This is so annoying. It's so lame. Why am I in church today? I don't want to be in church today." He's using church words at me. Anybody feel that way? Okay, disciple is a follower. It's an ancient world term for disciples of rabbis. The rabbis were the Jewish teachers. Now, any Hard Knocks fans? It all comes back to football today. I'm wearing my jersey. Loud and proud if you love Dan Campbell and everything going on in Hard Knocks this year. Thank you so much. I see those hands. Now, in Hard Knocks, if you don't know what that is, that's training camp with a football team. It's the Detroit Lions, the perpetual losers of the NFL this year. It's been so entertaining, almost as good as the New York Jets one from like 12 years ago. Now, in Hard Knocks, you have this thing where you start out with a whole bunch of guys 80-man roster, and you got to get down to 53. you got to make cuts. So the final episode is coming out this Tuesday, and we're excited because we know that people are going to get cut from the team, and we're going to watch it unfold. We're going to feel so bad, and we wish they could stay. That's kind of like what the ancient world discipleship process was for rabbis. A rabbi would come, and all the young boys would start learning. And then you know what would happen? There would be a test. And a bunch of people would fail, and they'd all get cut, sent back to their parents, go be a carpenter, go be a fisherman, go do your thing. Then a couple years had passed, and they'd be like, oh, I'm I'm almost making it. I'm going to be a rabbi. This guy's so cool. I'm going to be his disciple. I'm so excited to learn. I'm going to learn from the dust of the rabbi. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be wonderful. And then what happened? More cuts. Didn't make the grade. You failed. Go back. Live with your family. Take up your parents' profession. A couple more years happen, and this keeps happening over and over and over till it's not a 53-man roster. It's just a small handful of disciples. And those disciples, still only a few of them ever make it to become a rabbi. Jesus did not approach those people and say, come follow me. He approached a bunch of rejects. These, it's like building a football team with all the guys cut in this next, next episode of Hard Knocks. It's like, no, I'm going to build my football team with all the rejects, with all the people who were cut, and they followed. And they were like, wow, someone sees me. I am a beloved child of God. I do bring God joy. It doesn't matter if I was a reject in the past. Yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you. It's kind of like coaching trees we judge coaches not only if you have a lot of wins and championships whether it's football baseball they're not coaches in that right there managers basketball a coaching tree is basically hey this coach mentored this coach and they became great too you know who's the greatest football coach ever by coaching tree it's not bill belichick it's bill parcells the big tuna Look at his coaching tree, and you're going to be like, wow, amazing. The guy from Alabama. Just just look at his coaching tree. That's one of the ways we understand a truly great coach makes more truly great coaches. Star Wars is like that, too. You're like, what? How is Star Wars like that, David? Let me tell you. In my life, I'm going to say the most controversial thing of this morning. Who likes Star Wars? Raise your hand up high. Let us know, and I'm going to offend you. Ready? Ready? I sat during The Last Jedi. I'm going to be so offensive. This is the most offensive thing I'm going to say all day. I sat in The Last Jedi, and remember Happy Days where Fonz jumps the shark? Anybody remember that? Well, that's a famous thing. It means basically the plot line shouldn't have happened, and it was dumb, and fans left. That's how I felt with Last Jedi, and I had an epiphany. I had this moment where I realized, okay, Star Wars overall is kind of lame, I like the first movie. It's not A New Hope. It's Star Wars. I like The Empire Strikes Back. I ignore everything else. Okay? So let's go to the original Star Wars. I'm going to reframe that story for you real quick. That is the story of a person with confidence, Han Solo, mentoring a farmer in a desert. That's confusing. A farmer in a desert named Luke Skywalker. And by the end of that movie, Luke goes from being all unsure of himself to getting into the turret and to blowing up the TIE fighters and laughing and high-fiving Han Solo and being a hero. Because confidence, true confidence, is contagious. And here is my challenge for each of us. So if we say we follow Jesus, if we say, yeah, I've got a, you're going to have questions. you notice there's a handout I gave you. On one side, it's got a a week's guide. On the other side, it's take-home. There's a question that says, when was that moment in your life? I'm paraphrasing my own words, but when was that moment in your life that you felt Jesus say, come follow me, and you said yes? Now, if you haven't had that moment, I'm so glad you're here. But okay, come follow me doesn't just mean, come follow me, and hey, we're now in for the good life, life's going to be easy, and all good, here we go. Come follow me means I'm a disciple of Jesus, And the expectation is I help make more disciples of Jesus. I mentor people. Disciples, by definition, make more disciples. Remember how I told you about all the guys who didn't make the cut? The couple who did become a rabbi were expected to make more disciples. We are all, if we said yes to Jesus, we are all disciples of Jesus. We have the opportunity, the obligation, the challenge, the mission that the Son of Man, it says, Son of Man is Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. The people are the mission. The confidence is contagious. So I invite you. There are people in your workplace who it's not that you want to take that sheet that I gave you. Look, this is what not to do. Here's the sheet I gave you. You don't want to make it into a little object and walk over and say, hey, co-worker, you're really annoying. But if you had Jesus in your life, I would be less annoyed by you. In fact, if you say the sinner's prayer right now and go to church with me, I'm actually not going to hate my job anymore. That's not what discipleship is. We don't bang our coworkers over the head with the Bible or with our take-home sheet. It means we go to people and we're kind. It means we go to people and we live the right way. It means we begin by praying for people. We listen. We give the gift of listening to people. It means we eat with people. We actually stop. We put the phone away. You throw the phone. You get it out there and you give your time and you eat with someone. You get to know them. You serve them. Make a difference in your life. And then there's an opportunity to say, hey, you're my good friend. I really love and care about you. The Lord's done a really amazing thing in my life, and I'd like to talk to you about it. There will be an opportunity, but it doesn't start with this. It doesn't start with that. It starts with praying, being missional, understanding that, hey, here's, here's another thing that was brought to me. This came up this past weekend. Really, really good friend of mine asked me a question. He said, hey, I know your dad. He's not a dad. He said, hey, I know your dad. How does one teach your children about Christianity? And now I I didn't argue with him. I said, hey, you know, in my experience, first of all, my kids are really little, so I fail all the time and I know nothing. But here's what I've learned. I don't teach my kids anything. I follow Jesus in my life and I bring my kids with me. So like at meal times we pray. At times when we got a big decision to make, we pray. We talk about how Bible stories make sense in our life today. I talk all the time about this random guy, Nehemiah, who most people who don't necessarily know the Bible wouldn't even have heard, but he's kind of the blueprint for my style of leadership. I talk to my kids about it. Maybe they're glazed over, maybe they're not. Ruby and I draw the whale that Jonah went into the belly of. We just make it part of our life. We just live together, and I bring her along. That's what it means to disciple someone, and that is the kind of Jesus swagger that is contagious. I invite you, don't be weird about your faith. Live out your faith. Don't like be like, hey kids, I came home from church, and I've realized that we need to talk about Jesus more. That's bizarre. Don't do that. You know what you can do? Just talk about the role faith has in your life. Pray with your family. Pray with your children. If your coworker is going through something difficult, don't go over and be like, yeah, you need Jesus. Just say, hey, can I pray for you? Because then after that mission, that takes us to our final, and here's how I want to really cap it off. It takes us to this idea of method. If confidence starts with an identity, right? We talked about Tom Brady's confidence. We looked at various confidence. Real confidence is not this obnoxious... Schmoozing swagger thing. Jesus' swagger is understanding, knowing, owning my identity, living out this mission. And then there is a method. There's a method. Jesus makes it clear. Look at verse 37. They said, Everyone is looking for you. I'm going to add a little commentary. Jesus, you made it. Jesus, you have passed the test. They all think you're awesome. We're going to build a really huge movement. We're going to pack the house. We're going to monetize it. This is not going to be early days of Facebook. This is going to be big revenue dollars. We're going to do an awesome thing with this. We're going to live like kings. Oh, no, no, no. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That's why I came. Confidence isn't confidence if you just sit on it. Then it's comfort or it's convenience. If I really grow as a leader and come into my own, and then I just stay put, the challenge is is that that's not confidence, that's comfort. I know it's confident when it travels, and I still have it. We know that Jesus is confident because he didn't go into his home church. He doesn't walk into the Nazareth synagogue and teach with authority. He walks into a random synagogue and teaches with authority. Confidence rooted in an identity Missional, showing this method, it travels really well because it's not about, look at me, I'm the man. Hey, bro, what's up? Good to see you, man. Hey, I see you. I love you, man. It's not that. It travels well. Now, this other towns thing is a metaphor. This is not, I talked about how this is prescriptive and descriptive. It talks about what Jesus did and gives us an opportunity to show us how to live. I am not saying that you should get up out of here and move to another town. Necessarily. Maybe you should. Maybe the Lord's calling you to do that. I don't know. It's between you and God. I can pray for you, but I don't know. Talk to me. Maybe. But here's the thing: other towns as well is a metaphor, it means all the parts of my life, not just the church part, the family part, the my parents part, the my children part, the my spouse part, the extended family that I'm dreading seeing at Thanksgiving doesn't mean, where's my my blunt object? Doesn't mean saving this for a couple months, being like, hey, my pastor gave this to me a couple months ago, and it's Thanksgiving, and I know how I'm going to make it so we don't fight this year. I'm going to hit you on the head with this. No, it's not that. It's understanding, hey, I have an opportunity to be kind, to listen. I have an opportunity to make a difference in people's life, And that doesn't mean that I have to be braggadocious or cocky or arrogant or obnoxious or have this obnoxious, weird, schmoozing swagger thing. I can have this Jesus swagger, and I can be kind and available and follow him. And he's going to put people and opportunities in my life in the various parts when I go to other towns as well. When I go to my workplace and don't just think, I don't like my job right now and I don't want to be here. Does anyone have that feeling? Instead of just looking and being like, I want to scream and leave, the Michael Scott office involuntary screaming. Anyone know that feeling? Where he just goes into his office and goes, ah! Anybody ever feel like that at work? Instead of feeling that, we can say, hey, wow, I have been put here by God. God is in control. I have the opportunity to now, from this point, make a difference for Jesus. I have an opportunity to live out my life with the right kind of confidence, with Jesus' swagger here. And so here is what I ask. What is your method? Are you someone who's just sitting and and thinking like, oh man, I'm stuck here and this is lame and I don't want to be here and so I'm just going to kind of survive through it? Or are you someone that says, hey, you know what? I love Jesus. I know that the point was not for me to... Consume Christianity like a product and just feel good about it it 's not for me to win a million dollars but it 's for my life to be different it 's for me to live a different way and acknowledge that I can make a difference. I am someone who i don 't have to just feel like i 'm powerless over everything i don 't have to be my father likes the phrase disempowered empowered i don 't have to be i don 't have to be someone who just walks into this defeatist mindset all the time and says, I can't do anything. I can say, wow, God has put me here and I have an amazing opportunity to serve him. I am greatly loved by God. That's my identity. So here's my challenge. Are you feeling true confidence today or are you feeling all over the place? Because I've had times in my life, both hands are coming up. I've had times where I felt all over the place. Because my identity wasn't this Jesus swagger. It wasn't understanding that I'm dearly loved by God and bring Him great joy. I just felt a mess. I felt rejected. I felt weird. I felt guilt. I felt shame. I felt all these things. We have to start there. And then we see that we have the opportunity to live missionally today, this afternoon. You're going to go places. You can represent Jesus in those places. Again, not hitting people over the head. But by saying, wow, I have Jesus in my heart. I love him. Jesus loves me. This I know. I have this opportunity to make a difference right here. And then it doesn't just happen in one place. It happens everywhere in my life in all parts. That's what I invite us to do. Let's pray together. And I'm going to ask as we pray, first of all, if, if you don't personally know Jesus, and, you, and you're feeling like he's pulling out your heart today and really convicting you, and you're saying, wow, I'm feeling like Jesus is saying, come follow me. First of all, I invite you to say yes to God, and we want to talk to you afterwards. We're so excited for that. And then from there, if you're saying, hey, yeah, I've said yes to God, yes, I follow Jesus. Maybe, it's, maybe my walk is great, maybe it's not, I don't know. Here's what I invite us to do. We're just going to pray together. And we're going to ask the Lord. When I say the Lord, I mean the Lord Jesus, Lord of our lives, the person in control, the person we follow, the person we imitate. We're going to ask him, we're going to say, hey, put, put people in my life today that I can make a difference with. Let me be open to that. Let me be open to going to those places that maybe, maybe I don't necessarily want to start there, but there are people here that need your love and I can be friends with them. Let's be open to that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that we can not only learn from him, but follow him. Lord, I ask that you would give each of us the courage and the strength to not just go home from church and say, eh, I checked off that box, but that we could begin to be changed from the inside out, whether that's for the first time or just that we're reminded of that, that we have the opportunity to have the right kind of confidence, confidence in you. We're so grateful that you love us. We are dearly loved and we bring you great joy. We ask that you would allow us to from there say yes in each moment, make a difference, make new friends, bring people to you. We hear about stats like the fact that supposedly 80, and I don't even like stats, Heavenly Father, but supposedly 85% of people are willing to come to church or come to a Bible study if we just ask them, God, this week, who is that person on my heart? Give me the courage to, to bring them, to ask and say, hey, you know, I love you, you're my friend. Will you come to, come to it with me to meet some cool people? And God, in whatever way it is, I ask that you give us strength, and I pray this prayer over our congregation, the prayer I pray with my children each night. Lord, I ask that you would let us grow in peace, in knowledge, in understanding, in wisdom, in courage, in humility, and kindness, and that we would see that our life is not our own, but a chance to follow and serve you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.